If we were in a if we were in an earthquake zone, we might might have some concerns. But um, Ed very kindly uh, <clears throat> communicated with me this week and said, um, you know, would you like for me to do the children's message? And the answer is yes. Um, if, if somebody says, would you like for me to? The answer is yes. Um, uh, uh, I, I um, realized I preached a month ago in Spanish at the uh, church over in Harrisonburg that's without a pastor right now, and there was the um, uh, disconcerting experience that somebody was actually translating me back into English for the people of the congregation who don't know Spanish. Um, so uh, I do know how to preach in my own language, um, but occasionally, as those of you who work in more than one language know, um, the other words come in and I have to kind of uh, find the right words, so just bear with me, uh, please. Um, and it's a delight and a privilege, and I thank the session for giving me the opportunity to be here this morning um, to bring you the word out of Haggai, which is three books from the end of the Old Testament. So if you have a telephone, you can locate it very easily on your Bible software. If you're looking in a traditional Bible that looks like this here, then go all the way to the end of the Old Testament to the book of Malachi turn back through the book of Zechariah, and you'll come to the book of Haggai. Haggai is one of the three, they're called post-exilic prophets. He's one of three prophets who wrote after the return of the Israelites from their captivity of 70 years in Babylon. And I'll read the entire first chapter, and this is the English Standard Version that I'm using here. Um, somebody was teasing me about the minor prophets I've preached from Zephaniah, Nahum, and Haggai on the few occasions I've been up here, and I'm hoping it will be an encouragement to the congregation to read these books. They're, they're really, they're wonderful, they're part of the scripture, and they're, they have wonderful wisdom in them. Okay, Haggai. This is the word of the living God, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through his word. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, <clears throat> these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, 
and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God in the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius, the king. That's the reading of the Holy Word. May God bless it to our edification. Is that our building up? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for all of your word, even some of these books where maybe we're not as familiar with them or maybe we um, haven't read them in a while. But thank you that you have provided a a wonderful guidebook for us, um, something that is so precious it's beyond our imagination. So I pray this morning that as we open this book and read it, you will um, enlighten us by your spirit so that we go out of here as changed people. Bless our time together around your word, uh, I pray uh, in the name of Jesus the Christ, amen. Well, the title is A Godly Rebuilding Program. Um, Who's, uh, who who in here, maybe I should say, who who will admit after this past season, now that spring training's coming up at the end of February, who will admit to being a Nationals fan? Can I see a show of hands? All right, Mark Rickers, I knew you were one. Is, is Is it fair to call this last year a rebuilding year? Absolutely, he says, a rebuilding year for the Nationals. And we often see it in sports, don't we? We see it sometimes in economics. This, this, uh, this company is in a rebuilding fra- fra- phase. Um, uh, reorganization is another word that's used, which sometimes means you're going to lose your job. Um, so uh, a rebuilding program. And where we are, we're, we're right after the Babylonian captivity of 70 years, where the Israelites have been in Babylon, they've been captives there, they've been away from the temple, and they have come back, about just a a little under 50,000, fewer than 50,000 exiles came back. If you know your Old Testament history, you'll remember Cyrus was the king who uh, issued the edict for the Israelites to return, right, if you look at the end of 2 Chronicles. Um, And Darius now has succeeded him, and Jerusalem is, is being rebuilt. Remember, the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem. And I, I think sometimes what's hard for us is we, we, we kind of have to enter into the Old Testament world. Um, you know, we're New Testament Christians, obviously. We're in 2023. Um, but we have to enter into their world and understand the temple is where God meets with his people. Obviously, he's not confined to that any more than he's confined to this sanctuary. But the temple is where God met with his people. So the, the temple as a, as a building... Uh, to meet with God is, is of utmost importance in the Old Testament. And so we, we, have to, we have to understand that as we read these books and understand why Haggai is, is making the appeal that he is because he's not only talking about the temple, he's talking about worship, he's talking about the place God is glorified. 
Um, and what we have here is God withholding his blessing from his people because of their neglect of him. And there's an indifference about rebuilding the temple. And, and you saw that in the, in the first part of your, 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 the text, verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled house while, uh, houses while this house lies in ruins? And then there's, um, a hold, um, there's a whole claim of things that have happened, uh, a list of things that have happened in 4, 5, and 6. So my first point is a godly rebuilding program means putting God first. A godly rebuilding program, that is a rebuilding program that's focused on God, means putting God first. The temple has not been rebuilt partly through neglect and partly, as Ed so capably did in the children's sermon, partly because the people have a hand behind their back while they're trying to build the temple the way the kids were doing up here. Uh, And you can read about that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, So the, the temple hasn't been rebuilt. We have foreigners who have intermarried. Uh, which was prohibited by Old Testament law. It would be like marrying an unbeliever. Um, And uh, one commentator says that the people's desire to build houses and acquire wealth ahead of rebuilding the temple results in, quote, a sort of truce between conscience, conscience and covetousness. A sort of truce between conscience and covetousness. And so the consequences, as they often are in the Old Testament, because it's an agricultural society, have to do with agriculture. There's an unsatisfactory crop yield. You've sown much and harvested little, verse 6 says. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. We have an expression of, what is it, burning a hole in your pocket. The money burns a hole in his pocket, somebody who spends money, although there are commentators who think that actually refers to inflation in, uh, in, um, in post, uh, so it's something we all can relate to. Um, inflation in, in post-exilic Israel is the, uh, the bag of holes where, where the wages are. Um, so that's the context we have here of people who are not experiencing blessing, and bear in mind they've been in uh, in Israel for about 18 years is, is when this book is dated around 520 B.C. Now, to try to contextualize it for our days, um, we obviously have worship in here guided by the Holy Spirit. The, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us. Um, but I think we also struggle with that truce between co- conscience and covetousness. Um, we have a desire to put God first as long as it doesn't cost me too much, as long as it's not going to inconvenience me too much, as long as it's not going to cause me to sacrifice something, right? We have a strong pull of the world. I'd argue this right here is a, a big pull. Amen, I hear from out there. I, I believe our brother Todd, if I'm correct, if I'm quoting him correctly, and he can correct me if I'm not, I think he was quoting a study and said that at least some people look at a telephone every four minutes, I believe is what I heard. Um, there are other distractions around us that keep us from focusing on God. Uh, some of those distractions are good. I'm not saying they aren't. But putting God first uh, means um, uh, dealing with that truce between conscience and covetousness. There's also a reluctance on some of our, uh, for some of us to connect blessing with obedience as vividly as Haggai does. 
uh, verse 10, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. Again, these are Old Testament images. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. I mean, this is like, you know, I've called for a drought on the land, on uh, uh, the gas price at the tank, uh, the, the, the work that you're doing. I mean, fill in the blank, the stock market, whatever it is to contextualize it. But he's just talking about your whole economy is being affected by this, right? In verse 11, and, and I've called for a drought, I'm sorry, verse, uh, uh, yeah, verse, verse 10 and 11, therefore the heavens above you withheld the dew, earth is withheld its produce. So this is an economy that's, that's not doing well, right? And so, so God has not changed. God has not changed. The Israelites did not please God by disobeying him. They did not please him by not rebuilding the temple. And there were obstacles to be sure. We're going to talk about that. But they did not please him. How can we expect God's blessing when we don't put him first? Um, I... <clears throat> Some of you, well, some of you have been here for a while, know this, but some of you don't. I, I had a, we had a ministry to Spanish speakers and still do, and I cannot tell you in the seven or eight years or so that we had a separate service in the afternoon how many people I would never see, not only on a Sunday, I wouldn't see them at all, and they'd come into my office, and I would say, well, are you, are you in worship? Are you um, reading the Bible? What are you doing? Oh, no, I'm not doing any of that. Well, okay, and what are you asking me to help you with? Um, and uh, a, a fairly radical example of this is our brother Roberto Marreira, who is in Paraguay, who, unless he has changed, has a policy at his church that if you want assistance, spiritual or otherwise, you need to be there for, <coughs> excuse me, four consecutive Sundays, four consecutive Sundays before he's going to talk to you. Now, different context, I understand, different culture, I, I get that, I understand that. But my point is, here is somebody who is saying, you've got to put God first. A godly rebuilding program starts with putting God where he belongs, which is first in our lives, and putting God first includes obedience. This, I'll tell you, 12 through 15 are just just beautiful verses. And chapter 2, we won't go into today, but read it when you get home, or we'll talk about it in sermon discussion. Just, just listen to this. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak. By the way, it's a Hebrew literary convention to repeat the names. I know to us it seems kind of strange, but in Hebrew literature, it's very common. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, Oh, let's look at this. Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. What an encouragement that must have been for Haggai. What an encouragement. Think of Jeremiah. What happened to him? Think of Isaiah chapter 6, right? What an encouragement to him. It says, and then the people fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is, what is it? The beginning of wisdom. wisdom. Thank you. Beginning of wisdom, exactly. Just want to make sure you're with me. Okay, and look at this. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, just verse 13, if you're following, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you. I am with you. Anitem in Hebrew. I am with you. Yo estoy con ustedes, we say in Spanish. I am with you, you plural. I am with you, declares the Lord. 
So what happens? The people obey and God says, yes, I'm in here with you. And then the Lord stirred up the spirit, it says, of Zerubbabel and, and Joshua and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And what happened? They obeyed. They came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their king, uh, their, their God, excuse me. Wow. What a wonderful picture of obedient response and of God's blessing. I, I am with you. God's saying, I'm, I'm right with you. <clears throat> right after Julie had this surgery, you can imagine, because she needs her upper extremities. Uh, Julie's my wife, by the way, for those who are visiting, sitting back here at the back. And, of course, she needed assistance those first few days. <clears throat> and so I would, I would be there, and, you know, I, I would say, I'm with you. I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. Why? Because she didn't want to fall, obviously, after having, nobody does, but after having that kind of surgery. And I said, honey, I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you. Well, that's what God's saying. He says, I'm with you. Just the way I was, had her there holding on to her. God is right there with his people. And how wonderful that when we, even little acts of obedience where we respond, God is so wonderful. Say yes. And what does he do? He's not only with them. How do we know he's with them? Because it says by his spirit, he stirs them up to do the work. He stirs them up to do the work. God's created us to respond to him. He blesses us with his presence. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't need us. God has no need of anything. But he blesses us with his presence. And his glory is in his house in the Old Testament setting. That's what, that's what we really kind of need to get in our heads here. The, uh, listen to this, Psalm 26. Oh, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Psalm 122, a psalm of ascent, song of ascent, right after 121 that so many of us know. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. God shows love and mercy to us in Christ. In Christ. He seeks a relationship with us despite our sinful nature. Remember Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19, climbed up the tree, right? And, and, and what, did, what, did, what, did God, what did Jesus say at the end of that? The Son of Man has come to seek that which was lost, right? The Son of Man has come to seek that which was lost. So he seeks a relationship and an ongoing relationship with us, despite our sinful nature. He blesses our worship, even though it's imperfect. You know, the, mat, the, the wise men probably didn't have it quite all right. You know, they came from a pagan land, but what happened? God blessed their worship of the Lord Jesus, Matthew chapter 2, right? Thomas is probably not somebody that you want uh, work, working with you um, if you have somebody who's quite that literally oriented. What do you say? Well, I'm not going to believe it unless I see the scars, right? John chapter 20, Thomas. And what happened? Oh, my Lord and my God. So what did Jesus say? Well, bless those who haven't seen and believe. His worship was imperfect. But Jesus blessed him anyway. And then listen to this. I think sometimes we can read verses like these two I'm about to read. And, and we just sort of, we've read them so often they're familiar. Listen to this, Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. So we were talking about in baptism, union with Christ. In Christ, with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places. I'm reading it slowly so it really sinks in. Even as he chose us in him, excuse me, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Wow. If that doesn't doesn't turn on your switch, check it. It's not working. That is a wonderful summation of what God has done for us in Christ. And then ultimately the blessing of the new heaven and the new earth. We won't be just disembodied spirits in heaven. As, As wonderful as it is to be in heaven, we'll be here in the consummated kingdom of Christ. So you see, God blesses the obedience. I think sometimes we're a little reluctant to link those two as as vividly and as clearly as Haggai does, but Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And what does 1 John say? My commands are not, does anybody know? Gravosos, we say in Spanish. They're not burdensome, right? 1 John, they're not burdensome. They're not, they're not, I'm not giving you a weight you can't carry because I'm giving you my spirit to help you with it. And that's exactly what he did in, uh, for Haggai. So, My question to all of us is, what is our rebuilding program? What does it look like? Mark can tell us afterwards what the Nationals program looks like for rebuilding in 2023 during baseball season. But what is our rebuilding program? Because Ed's right. In the uh, uh, sermon he gave for the kids, we're we're constantly rebuilding, constantly looking looking at uh, uh, how how we rebuild and worship. The text calls on us to consider our own attitudes about how we respond to God. The text calls on us to consider how we relate to God. What is first in our lives? Is it our jobs, our families, our disposable income? If you're retired like me, it can be your comfort, convenience. How much will, now now that I'm retired, how much will Social Security go up this year? I mean, you know, these are things you think about. Or, as one of my seminary professors said, ourselves. A woman raised her hand in the class. This was a class I took about nearly 20 years ago. And she said, well, I just want to really praise God. I've overcome alcohol addiction. He said, the professor said, well, that's not one of my addictions, but I, I have others. And every one of us in this room has an addiction, and it's to, to yourself. We had a godly man who was here a number of years ago, Harry Grimes. Some of you may remember him. I, I thought Harry was an antique. He was about my age. I just didn't realize quite how young he was when, when, he, when he was here. Harry called me one night. Harry was one of the godliest people I ever met in my life. And he called me one night. I still had a landline, so I picked up the phone. And he said, Rob, I want to tell you something. I've I've been a teetotaler. I've never had a drink in my life. He said, I am drunk, drunk, drunk on myself. I about fell over. I mean, this was one of the most, person who had a big influence in my life. And yet, what did he realize? He realized I'm addicted to myself. So what's first in your life? What's first in my life? What's first in our lives? Is it, is it, is it first to look for works of service? We, we just pledged this morning to help this family, the Ferretti's, and the raising of their kids. Is it to help at the shelter? Is it to help our deacons? Is it to help our elders? Is it to help in some other way? How are we serving? What does your rebuilding program look like? What does your rebuilding, what does my rebuilding program look like? If by God's grace you are striving to put him first, continue that good work. But you may be here this morning and you say, you know, Rob, I'm, I'm really off course. I've, I've, uh, I've taken a wrong turn here. I'm, um, I'm really not where I ought to be. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. 
read, read and reread 12 through 15 of that first chapter. And go ahead and read the rest of chapter 2 <clears throat> because it's, it's well worth it. Read it and realize that God, even after he had brought these, this, this um, uh, really this cursing away on the land, what did he do? He said, I'm with you. You're following me now. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. Ask the Holy Spirit to work change in you. Uh, I never will forget Steve Hohenberger was preaching years ago here, probably 25 years ago, and he said sometimes our prayer needs to be, I don't want to change. Change me. That, that's probably my prayer about something every day. I don't want to change about this. Change me. And as I get older, please help me to continue changing. The Lord grants repentance and faith and is united to those rebuilders who seek and truly turn to the living God. That's what Haggai teaches us. He's the only hope. Repentance results in obedience and blessing. And God, as he promises here, walks with us every step of the way. You're, you're never apart from the Holy Spirit. He's right here. A godly rebuilding program will focus on God and will put him first. May the Lord Christ grant us the grace to rebuild in a way that pleases him and advances his kingdom. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this little prophecy here out of the Old Testament, a, a very brief book that um, really has a lot of, a lot of great um, significance in it. Um, thank you for the repentance that you grant us. Thank you for the forgiveness that we've already heard about this morning in the confession of sin. Uh, thank you for um, the rebuilding that you uh, work in us. Um, and I pray for every person in this, in this sanctuary this morning, wherever we are, whether we're striving toward that goal and running the good race or whether we just don't know what we're going to be doing this afternoon. But what we do know is you are a God who is with us and you are with us every step of the way. So give us, grant us that gift of obedience so that we look to you in faith and trust you to, to, to bring those things that we need in each one of our lives. Oh, how we thank you for the Lord Christ. How we thank you for every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms that you've bestowed on us. So undeserving we are, and yet so greatly you have lavished those blessings on us. We thank you. Uh, we delight in you. We praise you, and Lord Christ, in your name we pray. Amen.